But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Please keep your Bibles open. Thank you for that, Ruth. Uh, We'll call on Abigail to give us a second reading. My reading will be on Galatians chapter 1, verses 11, to chapter 2, verses 10. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him for 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then, I went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of the revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seem influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I am not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, 
What they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seem influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John who seemed to be pillars, preserved the grace that was given to me. They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Please keep your Bibles open. Let's pray before uh, the kids go out with Tom and, and Rob comes to preach. Father Lord, thank you so much that you've given us your word. Uh, your, the entrance of your word brings light to our souls. So we pray that you will shine your light so bright that we may see the gospel for what it truly is. I pray you use Rob as he helps us work through the, this part of the Bible. And you use Tom as well as he works through it with the kids. Uh, all for the glory and honor of your name. Amen. Hi everyone. Um, yeah, do keep your Bibles open. Um, we have done one week, haven't we, already in Galatians chapter 1. And we're going to be finishing off that chapter and looking at part of chapter 2 today. Uh, George has prayed for us, uh, so we're going to get down to it. Um, how do you know that Paul's gospel is true? How do you know it's true? That is, how do you know it's true for you? How do you know that you can believe it? And how do you know that you can keep believing it if you are Christians here today? Why? Why should you? How do we know it's true? Uh, Well, we've been looking at Galatians chapter 1, and Paul has already been saying that his gospel is from God and not from man. And we just read a bit of Acts chapter 9 where Paul uh, met Jesus for himself and that was the beginning of things for him. His life was turned around altogether. And we're looking at this uh, little bit of Galatians which is Paul's kind of biography. He writes it in the letter to the Galatians. And the reason Paul gives for why you should believe his gospel is that it wasn't from man but from God. Uh, Paul's gospel is true because it is from God. Um, you see that in the very first, uh, very beginning um, of, of our reading. For I would have you know, brothers, in verse 11, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. We have been seeing that having heard and received this gospel from Paul, the Galatians are tempted to give ear to some influential Jews who were insisting that to be real believers, to be saved, to be in God's family, they needed to be circumcised, just like them. And Paul's been saying that this isn't simply a matter of preference here, that some people like to be circumcised, some people don't be, don't like to be, but actually it is about the gospel. It's a matter of deep importance because it's about salvation. 
and it could affect their assurance that they are saved. Paul makes clear behind the appearance of their godliness, they're saying, oh, we're really godly doing this thing called circumcision, is actually idolatry. They want to make much of themselves. And Paul doesn't want the Galatians going along and joining in with those who are idolaters, worshipping themselves. This uh, attempt is to take the glory away from God and uh, away from the true gospel, uh, which, is, which showcases his glory. So the true gospel, Paul's gospel, couldn't be more different. And that is because it's from God and not from man. It's a gospel of grace. That means it's freely given. It's not earned. And the glory for it, therefore, must go to God and not to anyone else. That's the, that's the crux of it. If there is another gospel that depends on us, the glory goes to us and not to God. But if it is freely God's grace, then the glory must go to him. This is the gospel that they had heard and received from Paul. Uh, Paul isn't seeking man's approval here, as the troublemakers are. He is a true servant of God and his gospel. And in this section, Paul is going to make this same point, that his is the true gospel, from God, not man. And he's going to do that from his biography. Autobiography, actually. Um, So we're going to look at this. Uh, There's a couple of different sections. If you look down with me at um, verse 13, it starts, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism. Um, Then if you look uh, up at verse 18, at the very top of the next column, it says, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. And if you look at first one of chapter two, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem. So it's fairly easy to spot the structure, isn't it? He's talking about three events, his conversion, three years later, when he went up to Jerusalem the first time, and 17 years after that, when he went up to Jerusalem the second time. And Paul says that this is how you know that his gospel is true. This is how you know that his gospel is not from man, not even from Paul himself, but from God. So Paul's former life. Uh, we read a bit about it in, um, in Acts chapter 9, didn't we? Every single Christian around at the time of Saul, as soon as they heard it, that name would have shuddered. Because he was hunting down Christians. He was having them put to death in like open kind of um, auditoriums, kind of you know, uh, gladiator style executions. He was getting letters, as we read, uh, to do this in Damascus. And he was on his way to do that when the Lord Jesus met him in a vision and said, Saul, you are persecuting me. Jesus himself stood before him, risen and said, you are persecuting, yes, lots of these people, but you are persecuting me. What you're doing is wrong. And uh, we read about it, don't we, in verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father's. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. We will finish that sentence, but I'm just going to stop it there. Paul's former life was a God hater. I mean, like he he loved God, the God that he thought he knew. But it was a God who was really about his own 
glory. He worshipped what he could do to be good enough for that God and not that not the true God of the Bible. And he was you can see, can't we, by his behaviour, he just he just was going completely the wrong way. I mean, there aren't many people who fit this build today, but like, you know, people who were hunting down Christians and having them put to that put to death. And we sit here in church and we think, Oh wow, what if one of those guys turned up on a Sunday? That's the kind of person that Paul was. And this radical conversion, that's his former life. How can Paul say it's his former life? Because everything has changed. And now, if you look down at verse 23, and the churches of Judea hadn't met Paul in person, they were only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. What has happened? It must be. It must be that Jesus has met Paul. How else could someone go from being a Christian killer on his way to do that very thing to being someone who preached the gospel he tried to stop? How else? It has to be that it is from God. Paul's gospel is true because it is from God. It was a revelation straight from Jesus himself. And just to make that point clear, um, that it's not from man, Paul mentions this little delay. He says, we'll finish the sentence now. He says, um, after he says, in order that I might preach among the Gentiles, he said, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Verse 17, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned against Damascus. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. So the delay before Paul goes to Jerusalem is, is crucial. Because it could be that Paul's heard the gospel from someone else. Maybe even one of the apostles. And yet this puts that kind of idea to bed, doesn't it? Because he hadn't met them. He'd never been, he's not been up to Jerusalem. He's not been to where the original eyewitnesses to Jesus were. He's not spoken to any of them. And for three years, he goes out into the wilderness. Some people think there's something quite um, significant about this length of time, three years. Because if you, if you remember, the disciples had three years with Jesus from when he called them to when he went back up into heaven and when they were commissioned. And so here we have another apostle, a 13th apostle. And how do we know that he's a true apostle? Because he had exactly the same time of Jesus revealing himself to him and revealing his gospel to him. And yet that delay shows us it wasn't just a mimic or a change or hearing it from someone else. It wasn't from man. It was from God. So the delay is another thing that Paul's using to show us this is the true gospel. The gospel that he received from Christ himself. It's true. Because it's from God. So for the Galatians, why should they keep believing that the gospel they receive from Paul is the true gospel? Well, because it is not from man, but from God. It's not Paul's gospel. It's God's gospel. And for us today, why should we believe this gospel? Why should we come to church and spend time thinking about this gospel or learning it or or believing it for ourselves? Well, because it's from God and not from man. Paul's radical conversion, his former life, and then his, the change 
what he went on to do. And the subsequent years and, and this delay, it all points to the same conclusion. This is not a gospel from man. It's from God. It's the true gospel. It came through a revelation from Jesus. Uh, Paul's second point is that the gospel was true because it's theirs too. Meaning the apostles' gospel. So that's why we have these two events or these two times that Paul went up to Jerusalem. Why does he include them? Well, because he wants to show that his gospel is the same as their gospel. When he did finally, in three years' time, go up to Jerusalem, um, first he stayed with Peter uh, for, for 15 days, and he saw no one except the Lord's bro- uh, James, the Lord's brother, in verse 19. And he says, I'm not lying. Before God, I am not lying. Then he went out again to preach the gospel among the Gentiles. And it was only 14 years later, so after 17 years total, um, that he went up again in verse 1 to Jerusalem, taking with him Barnabas and Titus. And he set before them the gospel that he proclaimed among the Gentiles. So Paul's gospel is true because it's their gospel too. Having stressed that he didn't see any of the Gospels in those early years, Paul now wants to stress that he did see the the Apostles after three years. And to show that this was the same Gospel as their Gospel. We'll see why this is important in just a minute, but that's what his second visit up to Jerusalem shows. Let me read uh, from verse 1 of chapter 2. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. We might think that, uh, so Paul goes up to Jerusalem. He sets before them the gospel that he has been preaching to the Gentiles. And this little comment Paul makes about in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. Is, is Paul like concerned that he might have got it wrong and he needs reassurance about his gospel? I don't think that's true. I think it's the case that he um, has seen Gentiles converted and he's, he's jealous about them. And he wants to make sure for them that they included in the people of God, that welcomed in. That the two churches, not two churches, but they're one church. He's not concerned that he might have got it wrong. And then we see what the reaction was from the apostles. Remember, these are people who walked with Jesus, saw what he did, saw him, uh, heard him tell, tell them that he was going to the cross. He must be rejected and killed. Saw him on the cross, put to death, and then three days later they saw him risen from the dead. And then they saw him go back up into heaven. That was the criteria for an apostle. And these were the guys that Peter, Paul was going up to Jerusalem to see. And what are they going to say about Paul's gospel? Oh, you've got the wrong end of the stick, mate. What are you doing? You, that's, that's kind of the gospel, but it's not the gospel. Or let me tell you all about what Jesus said and, and, and put, put you straight on a few things, a few doctrines, a bit of theology. They don't. Paul set before them the gospel that he preached to the Gentiles, among the Gentiles, those who seemed influential added nothing. They added nothing to me. Paul's gospel was 100% real. You know the real McCoy. You know they say, yeah. it's the real gospel. 
It's the true gospel. It's the same message about the same person, Jesus Christ, who is the saviour and the way to be saved. And Paul, Paul's gospel was 100% the same. It was to the Gentiles, whereas their focus was on speaking to the Jews. But it was the same gospel, the gospel of God's grace, the gospel of Christ. They added nothing. And almost to make the point again, as you'd expect Paul to do, he says, oh, they did, they did comment on something. They told me to remember the poor. So the only comment on Paul's visit up to Jerusalem was not, let me correct you on a few things, Paul. Let me give you a few points that you have gone a bit wrong on. It's actually just a matter of priority. The only thing they told Paul to do was to, to prioritize the poor. Not a, not a matter of doctrine, truth. It's a matter of priority. So Paul's gospel is true because it is the apostles' gospel. And this was particularly important because uh, one of the things that these Jewish influential people might have used against Paul and to divide people, Gentiles, Jews, and also the apostles and Paul, was to perpetuate the idea that they were there was that Paul's gospel was divergent, that he was sort of out on a bit of a limb, and that he was different. It was in conflict with that of the apostles. Uh, Paul's opponent, opponents, as we'll see next week, uh, were there when when Paul publicly opposed Peter. That's quite hard to say, isn't it? When Paul publicly opposed Peter, um, they they were there, and they might have used that to say that, um, oh look, you can see they're squabbling, they're falling out, there's trouble in the camp. They don't agree. On the gospel. Paul's going to explain that it's precisely because they have the same gospel that he took Peter to task. That's another hard thing to say. It's because that, because of that, that he because they share the same gospel that that, that Paul could actually confront Peter on the basis of the same gospel. It's not that they believe two different gospels, it's they believe the same gospel. Um, standing in Jerusalem. Um, oh, sorry, let me read to you uh, a bit of Acts 15. If you'd like to flick back uh, to Acts chapter 15. If someone can shout out a page number, that'd be great. 923. So this is Paul's second trip up to Jerusalem, and there's this council meeting not the council, town council meeting, but a council of meeting of the apostles and Paul. And you read it with the full account in, in Acts chapter 15, the Jerusalem council, and you can see what happened there, the event that Paul is referring to in Galatians chapter 2, because it is significant. For the apostles to, to warmly embrace Paul, to accept and approve his gospel, to authenticate it, because it is going to be the gospel that goes out to all the nations. It's, it's a massive moment. It's really important. And you can read about it there. And we're just going to look down uh, at verse 23. And Bethan, I'm just going to ask Bethan to come and read this letter, uh, which is a letter following that meeting with the apostles and Paul, uh, what they said to those churches that were being unsettled by people who were saying, you've got to get circumcised. Um, so if you can read to the end of that letter, if that can. Okay, well. yeah. 
They sent Judas, called Barsabas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. Okay. We want to put you at rest, Gentiles and Antioch, Cilicia, all these other places that have been troubled by this false gospel, this false instruction that they must be circumcised and that they're not really true believers until they are. And the council at Jerusalem settled that. And the letter that goes out to those people is, we put no, great, no further burden on you. You don't have to do this circumcision. They, they were claiming to be sent out from us, but they weren't. And that's a short letter, isn't it? <laughs> we're thankful for you. Uh, here's a few things you might want to avoid. Sexual immorality, worship, you know, eating food, sacrifice to idols, um, which are some of the things culturally that would have been related to, to where they were coming from. But not you need something else to be saved. <laughs> None of this nonsense about circumcision being a requirement for salvation. They put it to bed. They were united. The apostles and Paul were united in resisting this gospel. And if we jump back to uh, Galatians. Uh, We're just going to read from verse... Uh, Verse 4 of chapter 2. Yet because a false brother secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission. He's talking about the apostles. We did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. The apostles with Paul united in resisting. Even at that time, there were people who were saying, oh, you know, they really should get circumcised. And the apostles say, no. To do that is to say that Jesus' salvation, Jesus' payment on the cross is not enough. You need something else. And they said, we're not having any of it. And it was so that the true gospel would be preserved for you, Galatians. You're not Jews. And for all other peoples, all other nations, this gospel needs to be the true gospel. The gospel of God's grace. The gospel of Christ, which, which saves. That's the only gospel that saves. Not a gospel that says you do something 
in addition to what Christ has done. Because that turns the whole thing around. It reverses the gospel. It makes it all about us and our glory. Making much of ourselves. Oh, aren't we? Oh, well done us. It's not well done us. It's well done Christ. Glory to Christ for what he has done. Glory to God for sending Christ to us. So what have we seen? We've seen that Paul's gospel is the true gospel. How do we know that? It's going to be crucial, you know, as people come up to you and say, oh, you Christians are a little bit small-minded, you, you know, you don't believe, you know, you're, you're obviously small-minded because of your views on sexuality and, and what kind of relationships God um, endorses and commends. How do we know it's the true gospel? <laughs> because it's from God and not from man. How do we know it's from God? Because it came through a Christian murderer. And his radical conversion, the delay in him going up to Jerusalem, shows us it's not from man. He didn't receive it from man, he received it from Christ. And that's the gospel that we can believe in. We can believe it's true. Because it's from God. And the council at Jerusalem shows us that it was a gospel that the apostles shared. They approved it. It was the right gospel. It was the gospel to the Jews, it was the gospel to the Gentiles. They had the same testimony about Jesus and about how sinners can be saved. No difference. By grace, through faith. It is the gospel of God's grace in Christ which can save anyone. 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 If it can save Saul, it can save anyone. And for which gospel God alone deserves praise, isn't he? Because it's not about us, it's about him. It's not our doing, it's about what he's done. God through Paul and the apostles was preserving this gospel for us. We can be thankful to God for that because if they had capitulated on the first opportunity, a bit of pressure, oh, you know, they are influential, we do care what they think of us. If they had given in even just slightly, let me tell you, the gospel would not be going to all peoples, all nations, non-Jews. Raise your hand if you're circumcised. Don't do that, but I, I can guarantee we're not, right? It's the gospel for all nations. So if you're new um, to Christian things, what we can take from this, that the gospel is true, it's from God. It is the true gospel that the apostles knew of Jesus. And it's the gospel that saves. If you're new to Christian things, it is amazing, this gospel. It's the gospel of God's grace. And why that's important is because we come with the assumption, don't we, to God and to church and to other Christians sometimes, if we're new to this, that there must be something that I need to do. We're sort of waiting for someone to say, oh, you need to do this. You've you waited a long time to do it. You've got a lot of catching up to do because other people are, are doing this thing. And you've got to then start behaving like a Christian, changing a few things, getting your, your affairs together, sorting yourself out a bit, and then you could be a Christian. It's only people who take Christianity seriously who can be Christians. That's what we expect Christians to say in church, isn't it, if we're new to this? Now, trying hard to understand the Bible is a good thing, but it's not what can save you. 
committing yourself to a church, family, coming regularly is a good thing. <laughs> here, you will hear the gospel, hopefully, taught by not just me, but other people, heard from God's word. That's a good thing, but it's not going to save you coming to church or making up for lost time. What can save you is Jesus. Who can save you is Jesus. He is the one who, who died for your sins to bring you into a relationship with God. Freely, fully. He's the only one who can do that. That is what will save you. And perhaps you've been involved in religious gatherings. Um, there's lots of them. Perhaps even lots of church gatherings. And yet instinctively you think that those things contribute to being in the right with God. The reason I came to church today was because that's, that's kind of what Christians do. I've got, you know, I've got to do that. I was chatting with some friends of mine this week. I was trying to show the offence to God of us asking for his forgiveness and at the same time holding out our efforts as a down payment. Um, I, I, I suggested that it would be the equivalent of cheating on my wife, going and asking her forgiveness. And then as she's considering that, saying, but don't worry, honey, I'll do the cleaning of the house every day. Of the, you know, if you let me back, I'll do the cleaning every day. By very suggestion and by my own admission, I'm saying that my sin is, what I've, the wrong that I've done is not all that serious. <laughs> because if I think that paying it back is the equivalent of anything, I've completely underestimated. And she would be right to say that's an offence. There's not, there's not, it's not the equivalent. And if we come to God saying that here is all my, um, well, my future <laughs> efforts as a down payment, then he would be right to say, that offends me. Because it's not the equivalent of us being unfaithful towards God, is it? It's not the equivalent of a life <laughs> and most of our thoughts being about ourselves and not about him, and yet he's the one who deserves the glory. We've shunned his way of salvation if we do that. And so it's important that we see that if we come thinking that any of these things that we do contribute to being in the right with God, then that is, couldn't be further from what the apostles and Jesus were teaching. It couldn't be further from it. Because here in Galatians 2, they say we opposed that way of thinking. We would not even give into it just for a moment. Because how can we be in the right with God through anything that we've done? Albeit something that God commanded, circumcision. How can that make us right with God? It can't. We need grace. We need forgiveness. We need the cross. We need a saviour. Um, if you're a Christian here today, you're someone who has received the grace of Christ. Just, just dwell on that for a moment. God's grace towards you. Never deserved it. Couldn't possibly have earned it. And yet God's grace is to call you his child. To welcome you into his family. To, to share his, shower his love on you when all you deserve is his anger. Through the work of Jesus. And the clear message of Galatians is don't go, don't go moving away from that. 
in your in your life as a Christian, in whatever you do as a Christian, don't don't go away from that grace. Don't start thinking it you know, it's it's about what I'm doing or how well I'm performing or Our hearts are deceitful. My heart is deceitful. Having received salvation through God's glory and grace alone, I will always try to claw back some of the glory for myself. That is, I'll always try somehow to make it about me when it's not. It's about Jesus. And I'll try to use anything and everything to do that. Try to use how I serve in church, or I try to use whether or not I'm reading my Bible, or whether I'm not praying enough. All good things. Even the spiritual gifts that God gives someone can be used in a way to make much of ourselves and not to make much of Jesus. And so we do have to be on the lookout in our own hearts <laughs> for these things because the moment we start to do that and we start to want other people to look at what we're doing and think, oh, you know, they're a better Christian than I am. <laughs> It's not, it's not wrong to be inspired by other Christians and, you know, and be a good encouragement and example, but it's at the point at which we think, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I can't be a, possibly be a Christian then. There's something wrong. And we should watch out for things that come in that, that steal the glory away from Christ and what he has done and start to direct the glory towards ourselves. By diluting the gospel or adding to it, we are going to do that. And we need to keep teaching ourselves the gospel, keep going back to the gospel, keep encouraging each other to go and see what the gospel is, to remind ourselves that God's gospel is of Christ, it's about his grace for sinners. It's not anything we could have done to deserve it. Because the natural tendency and the reason Paul is writing this letter and the reason that the Holy Spirit wants us to hear this letter is because we are going to go, we're always wanting to go somewhere else. Rather than give God the glory that he deserves for his gospel and his grace. And the gospel was preserved, wasn't it, for the nations. And I think this is one thing that as Christians we probably underplay and we shouldn't, is that gospel was preserved for us to receive the gospel here in Dagenham, but also for others. And one thing we remind ourselves of when we share this gospel, Paul's gospel, the apostles' gospel, with the people around us, is we remind ourselves that it's God's grace, isn't it, that saves people. And isn't that a wonderful failsafe for us as well? Our hearts don't go astray. Because we realise it's not anything. Let's go and find the most most antisocially behaved person, the most you know abrupt and annoying person that we can find, and the person who really rubs us up the wrong way. And let's tell them the gospel, because you know it's not because I'm a nicer person than they are. It's not because I'm a, a more polite than they are, or because no, it's because God's Jesus died for sinners. And we remind ourselves when we share the gospel of what the gospel is. And so um, Paul says um, in that verse, verse 5, if you just want to look, look at it, this will be the final thing we say. So then we did not yield. 
He's talking about the people wanting to get circumcision for the Gentiles. So that to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment. So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. That's why God has preserved the gospel in this generation. Why the gospel is going out. Why people are hearing it. Hearing of Jesus. God has many people in this city. And he is at work all the time. As his gospel goes out to showcase his grace and his glory. He gets the glory. It's his gospel. It's not to do with us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we can have confidence in the word that has been handed down to us by Paul. Thank you that his teaching on the gospel, which we have so much of in the New Testament, is is teaching the right gospel, the true gospel, your gospel. Thank you that um, it is the gospel that was preserved at the time for those nations living around there and also for our time. Thank you that you, by your gospel, show us your grace, your undeserved kindness, your salvation through Jesus. Pray for us. Uh, Pray that we would be encouraged by that, that we would give you the glory and the praise for that. We keep praising you and glorifying you because of what you've done for us in Christ. That is the right thing to do. We pray that many others would hear that gospel. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.